Amen. Well, we are continuing our series of Finding God in the Art, where I take some of my favorite cultural artifacts, moments, songs, TV shows, and we're going to start this week with what is my favorite show in, in a long time, The Bear. Anybody watch The Bear? That's it. Okay. A lot of enthusiastic supporters. It has become quite a hit, I believe, because of word of mouth, because people see the show, love the show, tell others about the show, and then they watch it and they say, oh my gosh, you're so right, and then it continues on and on. Uh, this second season uh, is definitely, in the last year, my favorite television show I've seen. It's the story of Carmi, who is on the left, and he is a world-class chef in New York, gets a Michelin star, uh, which is a big deal. And he finds out that his brother has tragically died. And so he has to come back to Chicago because he, his brother family operated a restaurant called the Original Beef of Chicagoland. So it's kind of a uh, part of the story. In some ways, I don't know, in some, some ways it feels like a superhero story. You know, somebody with extraordinary gifts comes into a space and begins to transform that space. There was superpowers. Um, but it's uh, the story of, of opening a restaurant. He takes all, everything he learned as a Michelin star, world-renowned chef, and brings it to a place that is, you know, it's not the big fat Greek on your cup of boulevard, but it's kind of in that, that vein of restaurants over there, if you know what I mean. Uh, and so he begins, uh, he and, and Sydney, uh, who is on his right there, who is a uh, young up-and-coming chef, also tremendously talented, but younger, and, and her dream is also becoming a Michelin star chef. And there's a scene in the, in the show where she asks him about the moment he heard that he'd gotten a star. Like, what was that like? What was your response to that? And, and this is what he says in there. In there. He says, this is, when he, this is when Carmi finds out he just got a, he got, he's a Michelin star chef. Um, I think he got three stars. Is that right? Is that how it works? I don't know. It's like... Yelp review for the most pretentious people in the world kind of thing. Um, but he says, uh, when he found out he got the story, he says, the first 10 seconds felt like panic because I knew I had to retain them. And your brain does this weird thing where it just bypasses any sense of joy. It just like attaches itself to dread. And after those horrible 10 seconds, I had to turn over a really slow table because the entire United Nations Security Council was coming in. So all to say, Carmi and the writer of Ecclesiastes agree with each other, that even in those moments where you get it all, all of it is meaningless. Um, it's an intense show, uh, and it's intense in the way that kitchens are intense, especially, uh, I, I mean, I worked in a kitchen. Uh, it was next to Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in Disneyland, but still, <laughs> I have an experience of the chaos, because uh, one time I didn't make enough burritos, and... That, so I, that, that's maybe why I connect to the show at such a personal level. Um, but uh, Carmi comes, there's this, one of the, the favorite characters of the show from, for many of us is the, is, the, is the character of Cousin. He's called Cousin. And he has a name too, I'm sure, but he's just called by everybody Cousin, even if there's not any biological connection to him. And he is somebody that, whose life is a tragedy and who believes deep down that everything he touches, he, he does harm to, from his um, relationship to his daughter and his, uh, and his love for the music of Taylor Swift, uh, which is not a knock on him. That's, 
in the pro column. But uh, everything, personally, professionally, he just, he has this, the, he inhabits the lie about himself that everything I touch, I just screw up. And so as things are getting more intense, some of his unhealed parts, we'll say, begins to conflict with the intensity of what everybody's going on around. It feels like he's second-guessing them and doesn't work, just crit criticizes. And so um, Carmi arranges for him to spend a week in a, in a, in a world-class Michelin star restaurant in Chicago. Essentially, what he's thinking, he just wants me to get out of the way. But I think Carmi wants his cousin to experience a world-class restaurant because he believes that experiencing that will transform him. So he's stodging? Is that what it's called? It's basically an unpaid intern at a world-class restaurant. They call it stodging. So he's, he says, am I the earliest stodge you've ever had? That's what he's referencing, that he's there uh, as free labor, but it's not so much free labor as it is an experience at a world-class restaurant that has a value beyond measure. So he's debriefing on his week as a stodge in this scene. Yo, let me ask you, am I the oldest stodge that's ever stodged here? I don't know, dude, probably. How old are you? It's an HR violation. You're not supposed to have 30, dude. 30. And you're like a chef? What? You like to cook? You're like a... No, I don't rattle like... Rattle the pots no, and pans? No, I don't like to cook. Why do you work at a restaurant? I don't know, man, because... A couple years ago, I had a drinking problem. And I got sober. I'm good now, you know? Like, I feel healthy, and I'm happy, and I'm grateful. And through that experience, I learned about acts of service. And I just like being able to serve other people now, you know? Service. Yeah. You know, I used to work for this guy who used to say that taking care of people at the highest level was like working at a hospital, you know? Like, it was like okay. medical. That's a little much. I'm just saying, I think that's why restaurants and hospitals use the same word, hospitality. 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 You know, at its core, the show is about the healing power of love and service. It's a show about people who are formed around a task, and that task being something that, that is oriented towards serving, towards the, the service industry. And it's about how love and service heals. The turn in that scene and the turn in that episode, which is called Forks, and is about as good a half-hour television as you will ever see in your life. And it's about his being exposed to and moving from being a self-absorbed person into a person that has found value and meaning in service, in the service industry. I'm going to read today's passage uh, as I was interacting with the show. This, this is the passage that came to mind for me. It was 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of God for us today. Now, this show I'm, is not explicitly Christian, but I'm explicitly a Christian person watching a show, 
And I think what the show demonstrates so powerfully and what resonates with us, I was talking to a couple people next door at FCC, and they all shared the common experience of crying during most of the episodes at some point. There's something emotionally engaging in us. And it's, I think it's, a, it's the stories of redemption, the way you're attached to these characters, um, and this deep sense of how transformation is possible through acts of love and, and acts of service. And um, this passage, what John says, is this is love, not that we love God, but that he loves us. He says this is, this is the secret. This is what you need to know. It's not about you looking inwardly and saying, how am I loving God today? Am I achieving the right amount of piety? Am I enabling excellence with humility? And kind of, kind of doing the work inside. He says, instead of navel-gazing, lift up your eyes. I, can, I imagine John in this passage is gently taking your chin, pushing you up and saying, look at how much you're loved by God. That's where you begin. Of Stop focusing on how much you love God. Instead, meditate on how much God loves you. Start there. That's your starting point. Uh, and from there, a community that God's love is made complete by how we love one another. That, that, um, what would it be like? This is what I've been sitting in all week is this question. Please allow me now to inflict this question on you. What would it look like if the bond, the only bond, that we shared together was that we're loved by God. If you, the primary way, say what, as you go to an eclectic church, look around and say, what is it that brings this group together? Um, what thread unites us? It's, and what if the answer to that question was the way that we understand that each of us is loved by God and us trying to show each other how much God loves them by loving each other. That's, that's what we're about here. What would that look like? I know it might sound basic, like Christianity 101. I don't want us ever to graduate from Christianity 101, because this is the only thing that John wants us to hear. You're loved by God, and God's love is made complete when you learn to love each other. There's no Christianity 102. There's only more 101. It's, it's what C.S. Lewis says. It's all about higher up and deeper in. Higher up, deeper into the love of God. That's, that's what life is. There's no other graduate course in Christianity. It's just higher up and deeper in. It's, it's Paul writing, saying, listen, I'm going to list all my accomplishments for you, but I want you to know every single one of these is rubbish. I've used it to my advantage at times. I've gotten out of some jams with it. Uh, I'm grateful for the education that I was provided as a Pharisee, but compared to the love of Christ, rubbish, garbage. That all that matters is the love of Christ. And that this is a buffer against the lust, the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. That, that all receiving love of God is how we insulate ourselves and protect ourselves and liberate ourselves from lust, pride, and fear. John will, will later write in 1 John that there's no fear in love. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. And God loves you. Jesus atoned for your sins. There's, there's no fear of punishment anymore. God loves you. That's, there's no more fear. Uh, those, who are not, those who are afraid have not been made complete in God's love yet. So the answer is not be less afraid. The answer is be more secure in the love of God. Stop focusing on yourself. Lift your eyes up. Lust. What is lust? Lust is all the ways that we go to, to, to broken cisterns, 
for the fresh water God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ. It's, it's all the ways that we find out as Quoheleth and Ecclesiastes reminded us, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Pursue it all you want, and all you're going to discover is all of it, everything under the sun is meaningless. It overpromises, it underdelivers. I know this because I've experienced it. I'm King Solomon. Let me tell you, if there was an experience to be had, I had it. If there was something to be gained, I gained it. If there's something to build, I built it. If there's something to write, I wrote it. It's all meaningless. None of it matters. Um, and if that's all that life is, then eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. But Jesus says, but life is more than your body. Life is more than food. That there's something more that, to life that is offered to us in God's love for us and, and pride. What is, what is the source of pride? Well, I don't know. For each of us, it's different. I was a math major, so obviously my pride was not my prowess on the athletic field or my ability to win and move the ladies. My ability was the ability to, um, I don't know, just give my go at Fermat's last theorem. Um, you know, that was, that was where I took pride in. And part of what, part of what um, I don't know, I, I, you just can't love people when you feel superior to them. It's just, you, those two things are incompatible. If you're better than someone, good luck trying to love them. Good luck trying to see the way that God loves them, as John wants us to see in this passage, that, that all the sins that plague humankind, ultimately, the antidote is in Christ and his love for us. The community that formed around, it's not just that God loves me, and it's not just that God loves the people of this church, it's that God loves everyone. And I'm learning to see, as John wants us to see, what it looks like when we understand that. What would it look like if a community built around the idea that God loves us equally? No competition, no gradient, safe place to be vulnerable and honest because all that matters is not my pride, not my fear. It's, all that matters is we're loved by God and what has been available to us. Um, I want to share a little bit about my own story. Um, I, as I mentioned, I was at Biola, studying to be a math teacher. Uh, I was uh, at a church called Rolling Hills Covenant Church. I'd sit next to my mom and dad during worship every Sunday. It's where I first caught Lindsay's eye. And uh, I also caught the eye of Dave Engel, who was the junior high pastor, who during the, you know, the standard meet and greet, he introduced himself. He said, John, have you ever considered working with middle schoolers, with junior hires. Um, and I was like, no. I mean, nobody, literally nobody had ever, ever asked me before to serve in a ministry. It's like, I haven't. He's like, why don't you come? We're always looking for discipleship leaders. You've got uh, energy. I think you've got some kids I think would really benefit from you. I was like, okay. So uh, it began the process of, of discipling, mentoring, this wonderful um, discipleship confirmation that, that um, culminated with eighth graders being baptized. So we would... I was at Biola, but I'd come down for a midweek program, come down for church on Sundays, eventually became an intern uh, with him, and, and as an intern, he said, John, I want you to teach one Sunday. Have you ever thought about teaching? I was like, well, I mean, I'm training to be a math teacher. It, it can't be that different. So I went up there, and it, it was very different, <laughs> and um, especially to 120 middle schoolers. So it, 
it was kind of like learning to swim in a shark tank, where if you have any vulnerability, any drop of blood in the water, you're done. And I was done. So I was like, well, there goes. I mean, I, I didn't have a dream of doing this, but I, I, you know, probably some part of me was thinking about it. And after that, I was like, yeah, that was the worst feeling of, I've ever had of bombing in front of a bunch of middle schoolers. Um, and but Dave said, you know, well, get some room for growth there. Let's let's get you up there again. And I know you got a trip to Russia planned. I was going to Russia for six weeks. When you come back, why don't you share about that experience? And I said, okay. I, I mean, again, that's the problem with, um, with, with me, is I just say yes. Um, you know, I don't think about it. I don't think, no, that was literally the worst feeling I've ever experienced. I just said, yeah, sure, I'll do it again, of course. And so I, was, I didn't want that to happen again, and so I was looking for some filler. And so I thought, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the old school. I'm going to show you some slides from my missions trip. Um, but instead of showing slides, I did crudely drawn drawings on the overhead projector. And so I said, here's the room I lived in, and I showed a picture that had this crudely drawn bed and, and a pair of underwear on the floor. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize my underwear was on the floor. And of course, they're middle schoolers, which is right kind of in the sweet spot of my humor, so they're laughing. And, and so I uh, got them engaged and shared about some stories from my trip and connected it to scripture. And then um, there was a moment when I was teaching that I realized they're listening to me. They're all there. They're attentive. And they're not even listening. They're listening with some sense of anticipation. And I felt that holding their attention, saying something with conviction, using my humor and, and the weird ways my brain works to connect with middle schoolers, which again, are kind of in my sweet spot. And afterwards, thinking to myself, that was really great. What just happened there? And of course, once it's over, you pray, and everybody stands up, and they're greeting each other, and they're, they're going about their day. And I was like, oh, it, it, there's, there's, it's very ephemeral teaching middle schoolers because it's, it's like it never happened. It really is. And, uh, and so they, I was kind of processing that, what happened, and, uh, but also some deep part of me, like, some, there's something deep that just happened right now. And so I went into Dave's office the next day, and he said, can we talk about your, your teaching? And I said, sure. And he said, that was incredible. You've got an, a phenomenal gift. And I want to give you the opportunity to do some more teaching. And for a year, he mentored me in teaching. We built uh, a summer-long curriculum together that we did th through the Book of Judges, which after teaching in Samson last week, I don't know why I did that. But, uh, you know, how else do we learn? Uh, and so um, what changed me was Dave, Dave saw me. When I was done teaching, there's somebody waiting for me to debrief with me, to encourage me, to work with me. He's, he saw me, and I don't know if I'd be here if it weren't for him and his encouragement. And, and honestly, the way, the, way, the, way, the way I understand it is after I was done, there was someone who was waiting for me, looking for me, who wanted to encourage me, to, to say and see things that I didn't see in myself, to affirm what felt like after teaching in middle school, I don't know if anything just happened, because it felt transformative to me, but they're just going back to, to um, play Pokemon on their Game Boy Colors, because it was 1994. Um, and, and I felt like nothing happened, but he was waiting there. I, in that moment, I experienced the love of God. 
It was made complete. It wasn't just this me and Jesus relationship. It was a person with flesh and blood completing God's love for me by seeing me, by encouraging me, uh, and by speaking to me things that I, I, I needed to hear. Um, all the problems in a community always boil down to how well we share God's love with each other, how well we receive God's love, and perhaps more importantly, how well we understand that each of us receive God's love, that we are all delighted and loved by God. And part of living as a Christian and living in a Christian community is learning to see each other the way that God sees each other so that we can go into the world and see people there too that are also loved by God. That it's not just us in this little clan, we get it, we're the secret, we're the ones who really God loves and those other people, it's understanding that that's not how it works. It's for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son to us. Um, pride is when we hide our shame and come to believe that we are better than other people. It's all the ways in which we try to justify ourselves through harming others. Um, lust is when we take the deepest desires of our heart and settle for inferior charlatan, broken images of, of what it is that we're truly looking for. Fear is believing the lie that we're undeserving of love, that our past disqualifies us. Um, but what is possible when we learn to love each other as we receive God's love for us? Humanity that is united in the fact that God delights in each of us. From the woman who has given her whole life to feeding the poor in a broken place of the world to the person who can't get his life together and is discovering some secret in a restaurant about serving. That God loves all of us. What would it look like for community to center itself on that truth? Can we find out together? Can we, maybe, that be something we aim for is to learn to receive God's love that we might extend it to one another, that we might learn to see one another the way that God sees us, to love one another the way God loves us? I mean, isn't that what church is supposed to be? What, are, what binds us together? Look, I mean, look around you. This is an eclectic group of folks. What brings us together if not the simple fact that God loves us? And that's sufficient. Everything else, Paul, Paul says, rubbish, garbage, that when we come together. I want to end with a, a quote from Thomas Merton. Uh, Thomas Merton, great saint, mystic writer, was running some errands in Louisville. And as he was out on just this ordinary street corner, he had this vision. And in this vision, he said, everybody was glowing like the sun, that he saw the glory that is in every person because we bear God's image and we are loved by God. He felt this connection to all of them. It was overwhelming to him. He writes about it in his book, Con Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. That is a heck of a book title. Can I just say that? Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander? Like, that might be what preaching is, you know? I'm a guilty bystander making, making some, some guesses here. Here's what he writes. In Louisville, at the corner of 4th and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking up from a dream of separateness, of spurious 
self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness, this sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being man, a member of the race in which God himself became incarnate, as if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could ever overwhelm me. Now I realize what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this. But it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are walking around shining like the sun. So come to the table this morning and experience the love of God. Come to the table that Christ himself has prepared for us with his own flesh and blood. And we invite you this morning to join him in receiving the love of God and inviting us to make that love complete like a circuit that needs completeness. Dang it. Scratch that from the record, Your Honor. Um, that, that his love is made complete as we learn to love one another. And as you return to your seat, imagine the faces of people that inhabit your life. And imagine them glowing like the sun. Start with those whom are easy to love. For imagining God's love for them when you love them is a lot easier than imagining the face of your enemy and seeing God's love on him or her as well. Let's pray as we come to the table this morning. Father, take us higher up and deeper into your love. And may your love be made complete as we learn together to love one another. Forgive us for all the stupid ways that we splinter and fraction and when we are all loved by you. Father, for my friends this morning, I pray that you would give each of us a vision of your love. And may we become and move towards a community that's learning to love you, that's learning to receive your love, that we might love one another and that your love might be made complete. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Come to the table.